Don't live your life on substitutes. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, had a great deal to say about money and wealth. So this was obviously a very important subject to him. And we're in the series, The Heart of Christian Service. And when we talk about exploring our hearts, when taking a really good look at our hearts, we have to explore our relationship to money and wealth. And because in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, a verse we know so well, it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And when we look at the word love, you see, the, the, the um, impact of the verse is that when, we, when you get there, when you get to the point of loving something, in this case money, you can never get enough. Once you have a love for money, you can never get enough of it. So we have to be very careful. We have to, in ministry, we have to have a very, we have to have a very healthy relationship with money and wealth. Um, as I said, Jesus had a lot to say about this subject. Um, let's go to the Gospel of Mark and let's go to chapter 12. And I'm going to read verses 41 to 44, and I'm reading from the King James Version. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld, he watched, how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in, than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. You see, the currency of the kingdom is trust. Jesus is looking at how much is left over here rather than how much is giving. And it all gets down to the, to the simple thing Simple truth of trust. She, this widow, trusted him with all her living. She, she put in everything she had because she trusted God with her finances. Um, let's go to now Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to read... Verses 17 to 22. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved before he had great possessions. 
And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? You see, the man, the rich, he had a lot of resources, a lot of uh, possessions, and he did not want to give them up. He did not trust God with his resources. And in verse 24, we see that trust is the issue here. Trust is the underlying issue here. Let's go now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. Because Jesus had something to say about unrighteous mammon. You see, again, that we, we look at, their people look at money as being evil. And money is not evil. Money is not inherently, basically evil. It's how we handle money that, that, that causes the problems. And again, it goes back to the love of money. And without a doubt, though, I mean, God has to bless our money. And when he blesses our money, it can be used in a very wonderful way to enrich the kingdom. But in, in Luke 16... I'm going to start at verse 10. I'm going to read 10 through 14. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit your trust to the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Some important truths here. He that is faithful in that which is least. Faithful. Faithful means having a continuous commitment. And the least here. Where, uh, Jesus is talking about the least here. He's talking about money. Money is the least. It is the currency of the, the currency of the kingdom is trust. That's the issue. The least is money. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in the much. So what he's saying here is that if you have a continuous commitment and you can handle money, then you'll be able to handle the more precious things. You see, because the test of your character is how you handle money. That's the, that's the test of your character. And that's what Jesus is trying to show here. The test of your character is how you handle money. In verse 11, it says, If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon. Unrighteous mammon. You see, mammon, there was actually a Syrian god Called the uh, called Mammon, and when Jesus talks about in verse thirteen about serving God and serving Mammon, it's there's the spirit of Mammon which is attached to it. See, so the spirit of Mammon says that you don't need God, 
you put more trust in your stuff, in your resources, than you put into trusting God. And that's what he's trying to show here. And the, the important thing is, is that when Jesus is talking about money, he's talking about that being the least. And if you can't trust God and be faithful and have a, a, a continuous commitment in the area of money, if you can't be have high character in your dealings and handling of money, how are you going to handle the more important things? How are you going to trust God for health? How are you going to trust God for for uh, for for any other thing in your life? You see, it all comes down to how you handle money, and it's a trust issue, and it's very important. Um, Paul Paul warned church leaders against the love of money in uh, 1 Timothy 3.3 and also in Titus 1.7, which I'm going to read. I'm going to read Titus 1.7, which says, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. That's uh, Titus 1, 7. And then Peter echoes this same, he echoes this same warning in, uh, let's see, 1 Peter 5, 2. He says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Um, let me go back to Titus for a second. Titus 1.7, that filthy lucre, it's filthy lucre is basically a, a love of money. Um, filthy lucre means base gain. Um, it also means greedy. The literal meaning here of filthy lucre in Titus 1.7 is greedy of dishonorable gain or base advantage. A steward of God is not to be greedy for a dishonorable gain. So, why is wealth so dangerous? Why is wealth so dangerous? Because wealth and money can have power and slowly seduce you into treating it like a god. I mean, we see it today. I mean, we're living in an age where where money is everything to people. Money is everything to people. And it's 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 we're seduced we're seduced by money and riches and by fame and instead of, instead of instead of loving God with all our heart soul and mind we try to love God and money and little by little when we do that little by little God loses out See, because the desire for money, the love of money, will start to take ownership of your heart. 
And then you start thinking of ways how, of how you can get more money. And then before you know it, your will is captured. And then money starts to rule your will. Paul, in Colossians 3.5, warned about this. He equated covetousness with idolatry. Money can be a very satisfying substitute for God. And people, when that becomes... Uh, when, when that becomes you, when money is a substitute for God in your life, that is a very dangerous place to be. And why is that? How can that be, you say? How can money be a substitute for God? Well, for one thing, money's more tangible. You don't have to have a lot of faith where money is concerned in order to trust money. Pharisees, the the Pharisees were especially guilty of mixing, trying to mix riches and religion. And in Luke 16, verses 14 and 15, which uh, I'm going to read that. I'm going to read that since we were reading the rest of it. Um, Luke 16 14 and 15, and the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and, and they derided him. And he said unto them, you are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your heart for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. You see, you got that's that spirit of mammon. And Paul instructed Timothy to remind the wealthy members of the church at Ephesus that, again, in that 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You see, you you shall not covet was number 10 of the Ten Commandments. But when you ignore it, it can lead to the breaking of the other nine. And as I said a few minutes ago, money has become the god of our civilization. And the the scary thing about it is the worship of money has invaded the church. You see, because people are looked at as successful when they are rich and famous. And it doesn't matter what kind of, what kind of, uh, character they have, unfortunately. They are looked up to as, as successful because they are rich and famous. They are what? Admired. They are imitated. And you see, the problem is that even Christians who ought to know better are taken in by this. M- money is very seductive. And the industry, Hollywood, uh, for, is especially, uh, money, uh, money has infiltrated Hollywood and the rich and famous. That's when, when we talk about rich and famous, that's the first thing that, sh- that comes to our minds, Hollywood. And the celebrities uh, show up in pulpits. They are interviewed on religious radio, on TV. 
they have a, they quite frankly open their mouth in places and in subject areas they have no place being. They get into politics as well. But why, why is there, are their voices listened to? Why are their voices so important in the lives of people? Because they're rich and famous. You see, it's that hold of money. It's that unhealthy, unhealthy relationship with money. And the people without the money want the money because they see how these people live. And when we talk about it in the church, there are preachers that preach this stuff, that they preach health and wealth. And they teach that poverty, or if you don't have enough money, it's because you have unbelief. And people go into condemnation because of these types of preachers. And who's especially vulnerable here? Who's especially, especially vulnerable to money talk? Dedicated Christian workers. Because they have often had to minister with, Spurgeon called it slender apparatus. Spurgeon called it slender apparatus. Dedicated Christian workers are vulnerable to money talk because they've had to minister with slim resources, slender apparatus. (coughs) Excuse me. And... The Pharisees' law of Corbin in Mark 7, 9 through 13 can come into play here. People today, Christians today, can take the, take the position that, oh, since everything belongs to God, we're no longer obligated to give him tithes and offerings. You see, yes, everything belongs to God, and we're supposed to have the position of being stewards, the mindset of being stewards. We're not in ownership. We're, ha- we, we're supposed to take the, the mindset of being stewards, not owners, and to properly steward the finances and the resources that God has given us to steward. But they take it, these people take it one step further and use this law of Corbin to justify not giving offerings to God, not financing the kingdom. Far too many Christian workers aren't faithful in their stewardship and they're hoping that nobody finds out about it. That's not a good place to be. Hopefully, that's not you. Excuse me again. But, can we divorce money and ministry? No, we can't. And Jesus again made it clear that if God can't trust us with money, He can't trust us with the true riches that are so necessary for ministry. And again, that's the record in Luke 16, 9-13. Very important here. It's very important that we see that, that we see that. The least 
Jesus is talking about is money. That's the most lowest, that's the lowest thing that, that Jesus is talking about when he talks about trust. And if you can't trust, he can't trust you with that lowest thing, money, then how's he going to trust you with anything bigger? If you can't be trusted with the treasury, how can you be trusted with the ministry? 16.11 of Luke. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And it's, it's really a tragedy when Christian leaders sell out their character just to make more money or use devious means to get people to donate more money to their work. That is a major tragedy and Unfortunately, it happens every day. You see, what happens is when money takes over, character goes bye-bye, and so does ministry. John Henry Jowett said, the real measure of our wealth is how much we'd be worth if we lost all our money. And isn't that the truth? When we look at God's servants, his cho- many of his choicest servants are both underpaid and overworked, yet they count it a privilege to minister, a privilege that God is using them to serve him and reach people in the kingdom and to enrich his kingdom. We hear stories all the time of gifted surgeons who are out on the mission field who could earn so much more money if they were at home in their own business or working in the medical industry. They, were, they could earn more money in a month than they receive in support for, for a year in, out there on the mission field. But yet you don't hear them complaining about it. You don't hear them complaining about it. How many Christian volunteer workers in local churches could devote the same amount of time to a part-time job or time with their families? There's countless volunteer workers who do that. But they're content to wait and receive their pay when the Lord returns. Each one of us has to find the economic level at which God wants us to live and be content to live there. I have two, these are two uh, quotes or truths that I have written down. I have these in my Bible and they are so important. I'm just going to read those to you and hopefully they'll sink in. You may want to write these down. The ultimate purpose of work is to put ourselves in a position to help others in need. Prosperity isn't about stuff. It's about how much flows through us to bless others. 
Man, you see, we sometimes we have it all wrong. We think we're here, we're supposed to be working to accumulate all this wealth and set up our retirement plans and all this kind of thing. When that's not what it's all about. We have to find that economic level that God wants us to live and be content. God wants us to work in order to bless others. And God wants, when, when you pray, here's an interesting thing. People, I've heard people pray that they just want their needs met. When you pray a prayer to just have your needs met, you are being very selfish. And what do I mean by that? Again, based on what I just read a couple of minutes ago, the ultimate purpose of work is to enable us, right? Is to put ourselves in a position to help others. You see, when you pray for just meeting your needs, you have nothing left over to give to others, to help others. Prosperity isn't about stuff. It's about how much flows through you to bless others. If you pray for only having enough for yourselves, oh, and you, it's, it's basically a, a prideful thing because you have pride in your humility. You think you are being so humble by just saying, God, just meet my needs. That's all I need. And it's quite the opposite. It's very selfish. You are having pride in your humility. Because God can't bless others unless he has people who he can bless and trust with resources that they will use to bless other people. That's the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to get blessed above and beyond of what your needs are. And then you're supposed to use that overage to bless other people. That's what it's all about. That's what we're talking about here. And you know what? Here's a key fact. In order to do this, you better be debt free. If you want to do this, if you want to give cheerfully from your heart, if you want to bless people and trust God with, with, with your resources and, and use those blessings that God has given you to bless other people, you better strive to be debt free. Because I got to tell you, if you got a $300,000 home loan that you have and you have a mortgage against that, you've given a mortgage for $300,000 and you're paying all this money every month for that and you also have car debt and you also have other debt, credit card debt, when you have all that, how can you possibly give cheerfully to the kingdom? So it's a very important it's a very important principle here. You better strive to be debt-free. When you are debt-free, you can live life trusting God, and God can bless you, and you can give cheerfully, and you can put smiles on people's faces. God gives you more than we when God gives you more than you need then you can give it away. You see, it takes commitment and courage to challenge and defy the money myths that are fooling Christians today. But if we're going to survive an effective ministry, we have to do it. Unfaithful stewardship. Watch this, people. 
here's something to think about. Is it is it possible that unfaithful stewardship on the part of God's people is the one sin that's holding back revival in the church today? Think about that one. Think about that one. Let me say it again. Is it possible that unfaithful stewardship on the part of God's people is one sin that is holding back revival in the church today? Very sobering. Very sobering. I think I said it before. Money is the God of this world. And... Back in Luke 16, Mammon is a Syrian god. And Mammon has the spirit of Mammon attached to it. That's what, the, that's what it's all about. And it's again taking, taking the trust from God and placing it in the spirit of Mammon, which is your stuff. So yet you trust your stuff more than you trust God. Very, very bad place to be. And you see, money is the God of this world. And it's something, money is something that Satan will use. More precisely, the love of money and the enticement of money and wealth, success being attributed to the the, to the uh, rich and famous. And then what happens is it empowers millions of people to enjoy life by living on substitutes. By living on substitutes. You see, money can buy entertainment, but it can't buy joy. You can go to, people can go to the drugstore, they can buy sleep but they can't buy peace. Money, if you have a lot of money, it will attract a lot of acquaintances, but you'll have very few friends. Wealth may gain people admiration and envy, but it can't buy you love. It... Money can buy the best in medical services, but it can't buy you health. Now, is it bad to have things that money can buy? No. It's good to have things that money can buy. But here's the caveat. That's provided you don't lose the things that money can't buy. So it's okay. It's good to have the things that money can buy, provided we don't lose the things that money can't buy. In 1 Timothy 6.17, God, we see Paul tells us that God graciously gives to us richly all things to enjoy and at the same time warns us not to trust in uncertain riches. You see, if Christian workers can't learn to trust God for his daily needs, how can we trust him for the needs of the ministry? Trust. The currency of the kingdom is trust. 
The test of your character is how you handle money. Deceitful riches. Deceitful riches. Filthy lucre. Under the influence of the spirit of mammon. That's what deceitful riches and filthy lucre is. Riches that are under the influence of the spirit of mammon. Serving God means being part of a daily miracle. And one of the biggest aspects of the miracle, of that miracle, is how God provides for his people. In Psalm 37:16, David wrote, "A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked." And then in verse 25, he adds his personal testimony where he said, "I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread." What would Paul say to that? I think he'd say a loud and hearty amen. But I think he'd also add this, Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And to that, we can say aloud, Amen. It's good to have things that money can buy, provided we don't lose the things that money can't buy. Don't live your life on substitutes.